Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! And we are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here in these spaces this morning. Give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, the word of God, to us. And Spirit, likewise, would you draw us into the presence of the living, crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Thank you that no matter where we come from this morning, what our positional location is as far as faith and doubt, you're pleased to welcome us with grace and grace alone. Jesus, because you paid the penalty for us on the cross. So would we be pressed into you and then pressed into witness and service in your world? even through this ancient practice of the reading and preaching and listening to your scriptures. We offer these things, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. I was talking to a friend last week about how I'm beginning to age out of birthday parties, as in, I mean, I still have birthday parties, and I still occasionally go to them, but when you have younger kids, your calendar can fill up with birthday parties, not only for your own kids, but for the kids' friends. And as birthday parties are less dependent on parents, it would actually be weird for me as a parent right now to show up at some of my friends' birthday parties, or the birthday parties' friends of my kids, because I'd be the only one there. And it would be, why, why is you know, the anger dad here at this, at this birthday party? I'm okay with that. And you might also know that once you hit your mid-40s, you also age out of adult birthday parties too. So. When me and my peers were around 30, there were a lot of age 30, hey, having my 30th birthday party come out. Same thing, age 40, hey, Jim, having my 40th birthday party come. As far as I know, and people that are older than I am, I don't think people have 50th birthday parties. And, and, and it's just depressing, right? So if, if you're a buddy of mine and say, Jim, I'm throwing a 50th birthday party for myself. Do you want to come? I'll say no. That would just be depressing. Like what? why are you throwing, like, are you going to start to date a college student now? And what are you trying to prove to, to anybody? Just let it go. So, aging out of birthday parties. But I do enjoy the cake and the candles, including for my own kids and my own family members or otherwise, in part because 
if you focus in, not just on the birthday boy or the birthday girl, but if you look at other people that are singing happy birthday, that are watching the birthday boy and birthday girl, you catch glimpses of unguarded emotional moments from other people. And you might think, Jim, it's a little creepy that you enjoy catching other people in unguarded emotional moments. And I would say, well, that's just your opinion. It's kind of fun. But this is what you'd see from me, from my own kids at their birthday. Joy tinged with a little bit of wistful melancholy. We've been doing kids' birthday parties in the Anger household for 19 years and counting. And so for over and over again the last few years, I'm, I'm proud, my heart swells with love for all of my kids, but there's still that part of me, every time we sing happy birthday, thinking, weren't you just born? I can't believe that we're doing this again and that you're this old. Or for other folks, if you look at elderly people or grandparents, during birthday parties singing the happy birthday song, very understandably, you might see some combination of joy, but then also a melancholy again, where there's a growing awareness of feeling the finite number of birthday parties to come. Or again, birthday party for a little kid, and there's a young couple there that is struggling with infertility. You see it on their faces very understandably, a lot of joy for this other kid. Maybe it's a niece, a nephew, a friend. But if you're struggling to have a baby yourself, that, that registers. You feel it. So at birthday parties, they give us moments singing the happy birthday song of quiet reflection. As it is for the holiday season as well, isn't it? It's a little bit of that both and. We're crazy busy right now. I was telling you people, a couple people before the service, this is when you really feel this time of December the holiday busyness. Why do we do this to ourselves every year? What's wrong with January? January is a great month. Why can't we schedule some of this stuff then? It would be totally fine. But we're super, super busy. And yet, it's also a time to reflect. And so it is as well with the Church of Jesus Christ as we engage the liturgical calendar that begins every year in December with the season of Advent a time of longing, a time of waiting, a time of celebrating Jesus come into the world anew, and then also a time of reflecting, a time to take stock, a time to think, a time to stare into the fire just a little bit more. But here's the rub. Sometimes, and we do have a fireplace at Casa Anger, gets later at night, I have a rocking chair. Staring into the fire. And it can get a little bit dark. And so this is the rub, at least for me, maybe for many of us. December, Advent, can be a season when we get lost in ourselves all over again. How many of you struggle one way or another, either this year or in the past, with at some point in December? And I think there could be even something seasonal or daylight related to this. It just keeps getting darker and darker outside, right? But how many of you have some of those dark interior spaces in a season like this, too? It's a season of taking stock, 
but then also it's a season of a lot of brooding. And we can be moody brooders, surrounded by voices, drowning in the swirl of voice after voice after voice after voice inside us and around us, thought after thought after thought, negative thought after negative thought after negative thought, anxious thought after anxious thought after anxious thought, sad thought after sad thought after sad thought, and it's hard to know which end is up and which end is down as we're stuck and surrounded by those voices in such darkness. That's who you are. You're not alone. And the things that we struggle with all year long get worse this season of the year. The proverbial waking up in the middle of the night and your anxious thoughts go zero to 60. And you just kind of say, well, there goes my night. I am up. It was a good couple hours of sleep. That is all I'm going to get tonight. Or maybe you go through seasons of life. And I have two, including recently as I process my own stuff. Are any of you car criers? where you're just driving around and you hear a song or it's something on the radio or a podcast and you're sitting there on one of the main highways in Cherry Hill just bawling at a stoplight to the point where people around you are like knocking on windows saying, are you okay? And I'm like, no, why, why are you even asking? I'm crying in the car for crying out loud. Drowning in the swirl. Or a lot of parties right now. Tis the season. Do you ever get the feeling sometimes where you're at a party, surrounded by people, but you're kind of in the upside-down world, where you're there, but you're not there? You're there, everybody else is connecting, having a great time, but you are underwater and don't even know how to comport yourself in a space like this. You're drowning in voices surrounding in the swirl, but as the church celebrates this Advent season, we are able to hear an opportunity, an invitation from Almighty God, from the living Lord, to hear a word anew. A word from God. The word from God. It's a word of rescue. It's a word that pursues you. It's a word that has entered into our world. So two parts from here. For the rest of this morning, let's talk about how in Jesus Christ, God gives us a word from the outside, and then also talk about how this word has entered into our world. So, word from the outside, and then a word that has entered in from the book, from the book of Deuteronomy. So, we are skipping around a little bit in this Advent sermon series throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And last week, Eric Mitchell, our executive pastor, preached from the book of Numbers. That's the fourth out of these five books. Pentateuch, Pent is five. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Eric did a wonderful job last week talking about that gray zone of wilderness wandering. If you heard the sermon or you were here last week, you remember that. The wilderness wandering, by the time you get to Deuteronomy, is almost up. And what this book is, is pretty much one giant sermon, one long sermon by Moses, the great deliverer, as they have gone down to Egypt, come up again, wandering around on the cusp of the promised land. And this sermon is designed to prepare God's ancient people, the Israelites, to live well and obediently once they get there. I've heard a preacher summarize Deuteronomy like this. 
Remember God's works, hear his word, do his will. Remember God's works, hear his word, do his will. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, you have a lot of covenant history, the history so far. In some ways, Deuteronomy is a covenant renewal document. I won't define covenant right now. Talked a lot about it this fall in the sermon series from Genesis at Liberty Church Collingswood here. So a lot of covenant history, but then also there are a lot of laws given in the book of Deuteronomy, which is actually in the name. Deutero, from the ancient Greek, another or second, namos, law. More law, including here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, governing and setting a course for prophets. Laws regulating prophetic utterance and the line of prophets to come. You see, the line of prophets was not to end just with Moses, but it was going to keep going. And for the prophets to come, they were the ones that were called to speak and mediate God's presence and God's word, God's speech to the people. At the very beginning of the passage, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And this idea of a mediator, somebody standing between God and humanity, you can unpack that a little bit more and say the role of God's prophet is both to reveal, but then also to shield. The reveal is here in verse 15. The shield is in verse 16. It's as if the holy presence of God is a fire. And you can't get too close. We'd be consumed. Part of the role of the prophet mediator is to stand in the way, to shield the people of God from the full intensity of God's holy person, and yet truly reveal the person of God to the people of God. And it's not just any words that the prophet speaks. It is God's words. End of the passage. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak, In my name, I myself will require it of him. And as with the last couple of passages that we've seen so far in this Advent sermon series, this passage also from the book of Deuteronomy, long before Jesus Messiah came a couple thousand years ago, this passage was considered to be messianic, looking forward to the deliverer, the mediator to come, the Messiah, not just any prophet, not just all prophets in this prophetic line, But this passage was considered to look forward to the prophet, the messianic prophet to come. And so, for example, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus performs a miracle, this is what we read afterwards in John 6. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, and this is how it is translated into English, this indeed is the prophet, capital P, who is to come into the world. This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus is the prophet, and that language of the prophet who is to come looks back to a passage like this from Deuteronomy. We've talked so far in the sermon series, too, in in Advent, where Jesus can be understood or construed according to his three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Had a couple of sermons about King Jesus. Next week, we're going to hear about Jesus, our great high priest, and here is Jesus as prophet. God's word to us. And it is a word from outside that truly we need. And if you're here this morning, if you're skeptical of spiritual realities, if you're wavering, not sure 
where you stand with all of this Jesus stuff. Thank you so much for being here. And we can wonder, we can doubt, is it really the case that there is a God of the universe who has created all things that yet wills to reveal himself to people, to speak, to visit, to enter in. And the church humbly yet boldly has confessed yes. And it's this word from the outside that's real, that's true, and we can trust. And once again, we are drowning in voices surrounded by this world. Why don't you take a moment to interrogate your own inner monologue? What types of inner voices, when you sit either metaphorically or literally in front of the fireplace and get lost in yourself, where does that negative headspace go? Voices of self-doubt or self-defeat? Voices of regret or guilt? Voices that are just obsessive all over the place. We can't let it go. We can't let it go. We can't let it go. Replaying scenarios over and over again in our head. Voices of judgmentalism to any and everybody around us. Spinning narratives in our heads where we're the good guy, the good girl. We're the hero and everybody else around us all the time is a villain. Stuff in our heads that's just plain wrong that's not true. They're lies. Not true. But we spin them and spin them and spin them and spin them. And I know that generally people come to church for good news. Here's some bad news. And that's only the voices inside. What about all the voices outside, all around us, that are amplified by technology, internet, and other things? And here we are again at a pendulum that has swung. Previous generations here in the West. Is it possible that people bottled up their feelings too much, were repressed, should have expressed more? Absolutely. But is it possible that the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction, where it can be argued that the cardinal sin of this cultural moment is to keep anything on the inside? And our expressive individualism is, if I feel it, I am morally obligated to broadcast it. A cultural critic and writer that I like named James Parker put it this way. But that's modernity. The insides on the outside, leaving a vacuum on the inside. So we're surrounded by all of these outside voices while the inside ones continue to churn. Saul Bellow in one of his later novels, Herzog, said this, no individual has existed yet, able to live, able to die. Only diseased, tragic, or dismal and ludicrous fools. So we're fatigued. And what's the way out? Do you think maybe, maybe another voice? Maybe another word? Yes, as far as it goes. But another word from the inside isn't going to do anything for us. Because we're all stuck in the same swirl. We're all stuck in the same morass. We need a word from the outside, from a different vantage point. Years and years ago, I was on a Ferris wheel at Ocean City. I think the Ferris, the, you know, the big Ferris wheel in Ocean City, right? I was with one of my daughters. And I'm, a, I'm afraid of heights, so I did not enjoy it at all. But, but that's how much I, I love my family, doing it for them. 
And I, I forget which daughter it was, but we were going around the Ferris wheel over and over again. And each time we went around, we said, look at that funny oval sign. And then we went around, went around again. Look at that funny oval sign. Went around again. Same thing. I've never seen a sign like that. We got off the Ferris wheel. Did I say roller coaster? I said roller, Ferris wheel. Yeah, Ferris wheel. Okay. Got off the Ferris wheel. Actually, it would be the same thing with a roller coaster. And that oval sign that we kept pointing to over and over again, it was square. But we had no idea. It's like, how'd that sign change just then? It didn't. But neither myself or my child could tell the difference because we both had the same vantage point. We needed an external perspective. Or think about old war movies. Say you're on the front line somewhere, you're being shelled, and you want to know what's going on in the larger battle or the larger war. It's not going to be good enough just to radio somebody 50 yards down the trench because they're seeing the same mess that you're seeing. You need a word from outside. You need a word from the base. You need a larger perspective. And isn't it funny when in so many ways, even for myself, my selfishness and my sin, I try to block out any voice that's not mine because mine must be supreme, even God's, other people's. Nope, it's just mine. But we're made in the image of God. And we're wired at a deep level to look out and look up and say, there's got to be more than this. And there is. A word from the outside for us a word that pursues us, and this really is good news, should you pursue God in Christ? Should you pursue the word of God? Yes. But the even better news is that the word pursues you. And Jesus is not just another talking head. He's the authority. He's the creator of all things. I imagine that at least for some of us in this room, we may receive one present or another, that requires some instructions for, for Christmas. And I, for one, have enjoyed the transition from these hugely long, boring, it looks like English, but I really don't understand anything, operational man manuals, and we've gone to the quick start guides. Aren't they great? It's so much easier. I don't think anybody's looked at a user manual in, in 10 years since the quick start guides were included in the same packages. But if you want to know how something works, you go to the source, you go to the manual. With our cars. Hey, how do I change this light bulb? How do I work on this flux capacitor and all the other car parts? Well, I have to go to the manual to figure that out. And I can trust it because I have a Toyota. This manual comes from Toyota. I have a Chrysler. This comes from a Chrysler. The God of the universe speaks authoritatively to us because he's like, yeah, I made all this. And you can trust me when I say, Trust me. So it's a different vantage point altogether, which lets us regain our sight. And when we come under the lordship of Jesus, so much of our crazy world begins to make sense. Oh, I can put this here and put this here. And even for me, coming to Jesus years and years ago, one of the things that I felt as I engaged God's word, as I engaged Jesus, was relief from the swirl of all of these different voices where I'm able to recognize now I have a word that's honest 
a word that organizes my mess and the mess of the world around me, a world that forgives and a world that hears. So in this Advent season, call out, listen to that word. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Begin at the beginning of the liturgical year. I bet there are some of us in this room who would say, this has been a great year for me spiritually. It has been awesome. I have rocked it. I started all of these great practices of presence. I started all of these spiritual disciplines. They've been great. But others of us, some of us had, had like a Phillies season. Others of us are having like a Sixer season. And like things are not as good. Kind of a, kind of a swing and a miss. It's an air ball right now. You can start again, because grace is grace. Start anew in this Advent season. Seek the light of Jesus Christ, the word from the outside. And also, this word has entered in. Jesus is not just any word from God, but the word from God, the embodiment of the word of God. The prologue of John's gospel, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, begins, in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And this word of God, it's not a principle, but rather it's a person. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's why we're doing all this Advent stuff. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known even greater than the Moses that preached this sermon in Deuteronomy. For the law, John writes in his prologue, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the divine prophet to come, yet life-sized. I love how twice in this Deuteronomy passage, how it's emphasized that this prophet to come is going to look a lot like Ushmo's. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. Or verse 18 again, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Jesus comes as a humble human, meek, born in a manger, not very fancy, to poor parents in the middle of nowhere. Aside from Jesus, you never would have heard the name Bethlehem only because of him. And this word fits our world. A conversation I had with one of my boys years and years ago, early elementary school, doing Bible story time, praying, and my boy said, Dad, I've been thinking. And that's always one of those garden of forking paths moments for a parent. You can either say, and I'm tired, or this is one of my better moments, and I said, yeah, tell me more. He said, Dad, it just seems like the world is really sad. And there's a lot of sad things out there. Is that true, Dad? And it was heartbreaking to hear that. I, I wish I could have told him, like, no, it's not sad. There's a lot of happy stuff out there, only happy stuff. But instead, I went the opposite direction, which I think is true. Yeah. It's really sad. I'm sorry that that's true. 
But I also, we also went on to have a conversation about how Jesus is, the Bible calls it, our man of sorrows. And Jesus knows us in our sorrows. He knows us in the swirl of the voices and the sin in our lives. And more than that, Jesus of Nazareth is the one you could say that submitted to the swirl all the way to the cross. You see, this idea that we have in Deuteronomy 18.16 about speaking and revealing, about revealing and shielding, that's what Jesus did on the cross when he shields us from the holy intensity of God's goodness and his wrath, taking upon himself the punishment for sin that we would be free i am revealing and i am shielding and so we'll wrap up here just as i reiterate what eric said last week come to this jesus and put yourself in the way of the word live in the way of the word to confront voices inside and around to look outside or inside and say, actually, that's not true. That's not the way the world is. That's not how you've made me. That's not who I am. That's not what grace declares that I am in Jesus Christ. Let me live here. Be in the way of that word and confront those negative voices of pride, of anxiety, of spinning and spinning and spinning. And you just might find as well that it's that word that presses you out that makes you think as you're stressing out, for example, over all the presents that you're having to buy for friends and family members to say, oh, wait a second, I should buy a couple of care pa packages for a foster family. Let me prioritize that and maybe spend a little bit less over here. Or maybe I can show up and help there in this or a different organization in the new year as opportunities come our way. It presses you out. But then also, even as we live, speak, and serve as Jesus' very presence outwardly, inwardly in Jesus, we can know freedom. Freedom to reflect with relief. Freedom to stare into the fire in peace. In the name of the fire, Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.